Please remain standing as you're able, and will you follow after me as we follow what is after what was very likely the practice of Jesus and the disciples who would have recited the Shema, or the Great Commandment. Shema Israel. Adonai Eloheinu. Adonai Had. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all our heart and all our soul and all your strength and love your neighbor as your soul. I could hardly do it with that behind me. That was, thank you. Thank you. In the, um, in the Orthodox synagogue among the Jews, they don't even try to do it together. They do it with such enthusiasm uh, that people do it at their own pace. So bless you and thank you. The scripture this morning is from Acts, the 14th chapter. I'll set it up real quickly. When the apostles go to a new town, they always go to the synagogue first because they know that they'll share the Bible with the people in the synagogue and they know they'll get an opportunity to talk about the text. But what happens is the apostles will go there and when some people get converted, the people in the establishment and the synagogue get nervous um, uh, conflict ensues, and in most every case, the apostles are run out of town. So when we pick up the story in Acts 14, they've just been run out of town in Antioch in Acts 13, and here's what we find. As was their custom, Paul and Barnabas went to the synagogue in Iconium, and they, did, they spoke so effectively the word of God that a number of Jews and Greeks came to believe. But some of the Gentiles who did not believe stirred up some of the other Greeks and Jews and poisoned their minds against the brothers. And so Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time among them, boldly uh, speaking the word of God, and they were enabled uh, to uh, confirm this message of God's grace by doing signs and wonders. But the city was divided, and some were for on the side of the Jews, and some were on the side of the apostles. But a plot then was afoot from some of the Gentiles, some of the Jews, and their teachers to mistreat the apostles and to stone them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. I need you to work with me for just a few minutes this morning. I need you to go back in time. Now, you don't have to go very far. I just need you to go back an hour in this room because an hour ago we had the confirmation class here and I had the opportunity to speak with them. And quite frankly, I didn't want to write two different sermons, so I'm going to share with you what I shared with them. Also, I've learned, and you've probably learned as a parent, that sometimes when you're speaking to one child, the other children listen more closely than if you were speaking directly to them. So I'll, I do hope there'll be some benefit and I share, when I share with you what I shared with the 64 confirmands and their leaders who are sitting right here in these two sections. So let's, let's give it a go. I have no doubt that over the past eight months there were a number of Sundays when your family had to drag you to church. I know there were a number of days when you would have rather slept in a little bit longer or maybe you would have rather been with a friend doing something else. And your family dragged you to church. There's one thing I want to say about that this morning and two questions I would like to ask you. The first thing I want to say about that is thank you. 
I'm so glad that you participated willingly and maybe some occasionally unwillingly in this process. And what I believe deeply is over the years, this process will come to mean more to you than it even does today. So thank you for being a part of that process. Now here's the first question I want to ask you. We dragged you into the church. Would you do us a favor and drag us back into your world? Will you drag us into your world with you as you leave this building? And I don't mean drag us physically there. I mean, nobody, at least most people, I think, in their circle of friends when they're doing their activities, really wants their 60-year-old preacher looking over their shoulder while they do it. So I don't mean physically. And I don't even mean take our beliefs with you. I know that the story this morning says that a number of people believed in Jesus, but what you need to understand is belief in the, in the Bible is more than just what you give mental assent to in your head. It was a commitment to reorient the way that you would live your life. So I'm not asking you to, to go out in the world and, and hold to some particular beliefs. Because as the great Dallas Willard once said, uh, you can believe all the right things and still be a terrible person. Life is more than just what you believe. So I'm not asking you to take our beliefs necessarily into the world with you. I'm not even asking you to go into the world uh, and just be a good person and take us with you that way. Because there's more, I think, to living life well than being a good person. A novelist once wrote these words. He said, it is possible to make all A's and still flunk life. I want to remind you that this past week was a remembrance of the Holocaust where more than six million Jews were exterminated by the Nazi regime. And did you know that there were a number of people who believed in Jesus all around the world who were very good people who did absolutely nothing about this? While it was happening, I read one Jew write this. He said, what we learned in the Holocaust was the 11th commandment. Thou shalt not be a bystander. So there's more than than I would hope you'd take in the world than just beliefs or even a good life. I hope you will take deep-seated values that we hold in confirmation, that we hold at Alamo Heights. I hope that they will grab hold of you and you will take these deep-seated values into the world. Now, there are a lot of values we have, but I narrowed it to three to invite you to take with you this morning. The first one is this. I hope you will take with you this deep-seated knowledge and belief that you are loved unconditionally by our Heavenly Father. That there's not one single thing you can do that will ever make God love you any more than what God, than how God already loves you today. I hope you will take in the world our firm conviction that you are special just as you are and that you are valuable just as you are and that you are important just as you are. And I hope you will hold to that. And I hope when the test comes back and the grade wasn't quite what you or your family was hoping you would have, that you will hold to that deep value that you will know that you are loved and valued independent of achievements. I hope that when someone at school says something about you that is not anywhere close to the truth, I hope that you will hold to that value that regardless of what other people say, it is what God says that matters most. And God calls you special, valuable, holy, and beloved Will you take that deep value into the world from us? Another value we tried to give you, would you take into the world an appreciation of the story of God through the Bible? 
This is an amazing book. And the failure of the church is that we have made social media more interesting than the Bible because we've butchered the Bible. We've turned the Bible into a rule book or a book of instructions or a book of don't do this and don't do that. When the Bible was meant for serious engagement, it it, it contains themes that are more real than what you're going to see on TV or on the web. The Bible deals with life and death and betrayal and loneliness and despair and then hope that triumphs over all of that. Will you take an appreciation for the story and will you go knowing it is more than an instruction book? It is a book that is life-giving as you engage it and engage it with other people. And so I invite you that when you think other things look more attractive than the way of God, to remember this, that one of the problems we have in life is that we compare our current life to somebody's Instagram picture, which is not really their life at all. It's what they're posting there to give you a particular impression or image. It's not what is deepest in their heart. It's probably not even what is closest to reality in their life. And our problem is we make other people's images and illusions on, on uh, Instagram more relevant than the deep, time-honored story that God has shared. I'm not asking you to give up the web and spend your nose in the Bible the whole time. I'm just wondering if when you go into the world, will you take that Bible story and engage it on occasion just so you can remember what is really true and what really counts? And it may be more than what the latest celebrity has just said on Twitter. Will you take into the world this third value, the value of relationships that we in confirmation at this church have tried to tell you that the only thing that lasts into eternity are the relationships you have with other people. And therefore, they are more important than any task or chore that you take on. Any achievement that you have will pale in comparison to the relationships that you have kept alive. Will you take a value for those relationships into the world? When somebody is lonely, will you be among the first to befriend them? When somebody is being pushed around, will you be among the first to stand in front of them or beside them? Will you know that the relationships with other people and how we treat other people is the most significant measure of our faith in the Lord? I'm reminded of a story years ago, uh, um, a man or young man A freshman moved to another town, so he started in another town, started as a freshman in a new high school. And the first couple of days uh, at lunch, he had to eat all by himself in the cafeteria. And then the third day, an upperclassman came to him and said, I've noticed you've been eating by yourself. Would you like to come eat with me and my friends? And so he was invited over to a table of upperclassmen, the people who really were somebody at that school. And he ate with them for about three days, and then finally he had to ask the guy that invited me, Look, I'm just a freshman. Why is it that you invited me to your table with all these people who really count? And and the uh, upperclassman told him, he said, oh, I didn't tell you. He said, I'm a Christian. And therefore, this is what it means. What happens to you matters to me. Can you go into the world? Will you go in and take that value that what happens to another person is at least as important as what is happening to you and that it matters? 
Will you go into the world? Because, quite frankly, the world is where our faith actually gets measured and lived out. I have to admit, I chose this passage because it was about two guys that showed up in a church and a riot broke out. And I kind of thought that would be fun to preach about Confirmation Sunday. I thought better of it. But one of the things I realized is the synagogue in Iconium or Antioch or anywhere in the, in the Greek-speaking world was not just a place of, of worship. It was a place of debate. It was a place of organizing uh, 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 for the common good. It was, it was a place of uh, organizing to relief. That's, there were all sorts of people, not just Jews at the synagogue. That's why the city gets split in half over something that happened in a church building. Because it was more a civic center. So when they went to the civic center with the gospel of Jesus, they were actually going into the world, which is where you need to be. And it will be the measure of your faith. So when you go there, do you mind dragging us with you? Drag the best that we've tried to, to share with you. And, and by the way, one more question. Will you come back on occasion? Will you come back on occasion so you can drag us out of our traditioned ways are ways we we don't even uh, see anymore we're so used to them will you drag us out of some of our current ways into the future will you show us like paul and barnabas showed the uh, the jewish believers at the synagogue that there is life that there's another way to be will you come back and start maybe just a small riot among us on occasion Reminding us of the life and the power and the good news that is in Jesus Christ and help us to look past our current ways of doing things and being open to new ways that connect us with the world. Because quite frankly, I know at least at my age, I can get rather used to seeing things and think that the way that they've always been is the way that they are. So yesterday I said to my wife, do you think before confirmation I need to go get a haircut? She looked at me like I had just landed from Mars. But you see, when, when, I, when I shave every morning, when I brush my teeth, I see myself with hair. Really, a lot of it. I see myself the way that I looked 30 years ago, and to me, that's reality. Will you come back on occasion and show us what's real and show us where God is moving? Will you come back not so we can keep our doors open, but rather so that we will open our doors, not for us, but to the world? I just got back from Scotland, and what was interesting to me is there are a number of churches in Scotland that are anywhere from 1,000 to to 700 years old. The, The buildings still exist today, but inside the building there's no longer a church. There's no longer people worshiping. In one church we walked into, it was an antique store. Another church we walked into was a shop. It had art and had other things. But then one I remember particularly in Edinburgh was a a church that at one time, cathedral, was longer and, and wider than this, than this sanctuary. And it had been turned to an inside shopping mall. And over here you could get handbags. And over here you could get souvenirs. And if I walked the direction of the sound booth, there was another large room where I could get a very nice lunch for about seven pounds. And I think what happened in that church was at some stage they quit looking out 
And they looked and they only saw themselves in the mirror as as they used to be. And the world as it used to be. And I just don't think anybody came back to remind them that it was otherwise. This is what I love about Paul and Barnabas. Every place they go, they get stoned. I mean, literally, with rocks. And they come back. You know, the religious leaders ignore them. The establishment pays no attention to them. And they keep coming back to say, there's real life out there. We want you to experience it. We were in one church, um, and it's in uh, Sterling. Uh, William Wallace fans, Braveheart, will remember um, that area around Sterling. But um, it, it has the distinction of being one of only two churches still active today that has hosted the coronation of a king or queen of England, of the United Kingdom. Now, right away, you'll know the other one is Westminster Abbey. But in this one, a few hundred years ago, a king, James II, because his mother, the queen, was not particularly well-loved, her name was Mary, Queen of Scots, they made him king at a very young age. And in that very sanctuary or cathedral, they crowned him even though he was less than two years old and it's the only crowning of at any active church that ever took place outside of westminster abbey and there's a plaque if you get near the altar there's a plaque and queen elizabeth herself in 1997 came and placed that plaque and dedicated that plaque this is the only living existing church in addition to westminster abbey where a king was crowned and we were in church there three sundays ago 23 of us on a tour bus, 25 of them. Kings had been crowned in that room. That room had been packed at one time. And now, in a space bigger than this, 48 of us sat huddled together on wooden chairs. And my hunch is, somewhere along the line, the people through whom the Holy Spirit started that building, they never envisioned that this is what it would come to. Somewhere along the line, they lost the touch with a world outside the building. So inside the building, things began to shrink and dwindle. Will you come back on occasion and drag us back out into the world and open us to a different future? There's a legend about one of my heroes, Winston Churchill, That one time he gave a commencement address, and it went like this. Never give up. Never, never, never give up. And then he sat down. Now, there's an author from the Washington Post, you may have seen, who claims that Churchill never really made that speech. And and I don't know the truth. What the truth is, all I know is if he didn't, he should have. Never give up. And all I want to say to the confirmation class of 2016 before I sit down is this. Never give up. Never, never, never give up. Never give up on yourself. No matter what you fail to do or whatever you do wrong, never give up on yourself. That does not change the love God has for you one single bit. Never give up on the world, no matter how they treat you and what they say about you. Remember, they only hurt you because they are hurting inside themselves. Don't give up on them. Never give up on yourself. Never give up on the world. And come back on occasion. Never give up on your church either.